So having spent several days now in retreat, contemplating, bringing attention to the body, bringing attention to the heart and to the mind, it's interesting to reflect on what it is that we experience. So just bringing attention to the body and seeing what happens. Seeing the layers of heaviness or the layers of pain that have often been a a case of of, uh, not allowing certain things into awareness. And then when the awareness or the attention is present with the body, then sometimes things can shift. So it can be experienced as an increase in unpleasant sensation and an increase in pain. And then it can shift after a time. There can be some sense of release or lightness or some sense of, of, of a sensations where there was numbness before. So the whole energy system of a body can begin to open up and align itself and move. And so in this, in this process of bringing attention to the body, one can experience healing, healing, healing with the body, physical healing, movement of energy, shifting. And yet it's also useful to consider, you know, am I, am I my body? Is this who I am? And so we bring attention to the body and we see how it can be a repository of memory or thought or feeling or sensation or unexpressed, unacknowledged emotion. And as we bring attention to that, we can see how that whole area can shift. So the body then becomes access, refuge, can become a gateway to the debtless. can be a, a, a real powerful tool for practice. How is how am I feeling in the body? And yet, is it mine? Does it belong to me? Am I my body? You know, and we can watch this whole process of body as it changes. So, you know, we consider when we were a child. I was just with my great niece. And she was born premature. So she's four months old and she weighs 10 pounds and she's, as my brother says, pisqueenie, you know. She's still really tiny little person. You know, she's just this big. And, uh, you know, when she was born, her whole hand fit on this much of your finger, you know. And so when we were born, we were little. And when we grew up, as we got old, became toddlers, we became children, we became adolescents, we became young adults, adults. Our bodies change, constantly changing. So there's almost nothing of our body that's the same now as it was when we were born. 
And yet there's this enduring impression that I'm here and this is me and this body belongs to me. It's mine. But this needs, uh, or is useful to examine, you know, on what level is that true? You know, on what level is it mine and on what level does it belong to me? And is it absolutely true? And is the body that you have now the same body that you had 10 years ago? 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Is it the same body you had when you were born? So there's an impression of me and my body and it being a continuing process. But the reality is when we look at it carefully, you know, all of the cells have been replaced. The constituents of each of the cells have been replaced. So I think the nerve cells don't change, but the constituents of the nerve cells will be replaced. And everything else is different. Our skin sheds, our cells change. You know, everything is different. And yet there's this continuing, enduring sense that the body is mine and it belongs to me. So it's not to use the sense that it isn't mine and it doesn't belong to me in order to disconnect from it but in order to actually enter into a right relationship with how is it possible to be with this changing process in a way where the heart opens, the mind finds a place of resting, and yet we can continue to relate with wisdom and kindness rather than dismissing. You know, it's not like a, you know, a piece of Kleenex that you can just put in the trash can. It's actually something we, we need to take care of. So bringing care and attention to the body, we can experience healing and we can experience how the body is a repository of unexpressed and unacknowledged feeling. So part of our work is healing. And we can bring attention to feelings and we can see also how so much feeling has been unallowed or has been unacceptable and what we do with unacceptable feeling and how it affects the rest of the system. So bringing attention to feeling, we can begin to allow healing, allow releasing, allow grief and sorrow and shock and sadness that hasn't been allowed or accepted. And what happens when we allow that which hasn't been allowed or accepted? There's a sense of opening, a sense of resting, a sense of movement, of life force. There's a healing that can take place. But we also need to look and see, well, okay, there are all these feelings, but do they belong to me? Are they mine? Are they who I am? They come and they go. But are they who I am? So there can be sadness, there can be shock, there can be grief, there can be delight, there can be joy, there can be rapture. And it's constantly changing. Is that who I am? If I feel sad, am I a sad person? If I feel angry, am I an angry person? If I feel tight, am I a tight person? So feelings come and they go and they come dependent on conditions and they go when the conditions are no longer there. But are they who I am? 
Are they what defines me? So we see that again with feelings, when we bring care and attention to feelings, there is healing that takes place at the level of feeling. Things, feelings which were not allowed can be released. And the accumulations that happens when we don't allow something in our body, in our energy, in our heart, in our mind, it then can begin to move. So the fact that feelings are not who I am and don't belong to me doesn't mean that we don't need to pay attention. But it helps us in finding the right way of relating. Now thoughts come and thoughts go. And some of us have thoughts that are not very kind, not very gentle. The thought that I have no right to exist or my essential nature is bad. Or if anything goes wrong, it's my fault. These are thoughts. They come because of conditions. They last for a while. And when the conditions are no longer present, they go. And so one of the things that happens when we bring attention to thoughts is there's a healing that takes place in terms of what we are believing in and following, identifying with. Some of this stuff just comes, it triggers. It's not stuff to believe in as being who we are. It comes, it stays for a while, and it goes. And there will be reasons why it comes. The stuff doesn't just spontaneously generate. But if we can begin to see thoughts and beliefs as just that, thoughts and beliefs, then there's a capacity to begin to see how they also are not who we are. They don't belong to me. And yet when we bring care and attention, they too can experience or go through a transformation in the healing process. So then we can look at, okay, all right, so I'm not my body and I'm not my feelings and I'm not my thoughts. Well, then who am I? Am I my gender? Am I my sexual orientation? Am I my culture? Am I my ethnicity? Am I, am I, do I experience my belonging through the relationships I have around me? Through my role? Through the people who love me? Through who I'm able to care for? How do I experience my sense of self constructing? And all of these things will have an influence on the way we construct our sense of self. And the ironic thing, or the challenging thing, is, is, is that in a psychological, healthy human being, we need to have a very strong sense of self. We need to know where we belong. We need to know our clan and our family and our identity. We need to feel comfortable with our sexuality and our sexual orientation. 
We need to know who we are as a person in relationship with others. And one of the things that we find living in monasteries and having retreats is is that sometimes people come on retreat and they don't have a very strong sense of self. And it's not a beautiful thing. It's a very painful thing. And sometimes it's catastrophic. They cannot maintain the kind of cohesiveness to be in relationship or spend time in silence. So people who have psychiatric training know that, you know, the kind of fragmentation of self that takes place in in severe psychological disturbance is one of the most profoundly painful things that a human being can experience. So on one hand, what we're wanting to do is to develop a strong and healthy and cohesive sense of self, knowing who we are, where we belong. But that's in the psychological sense of self, rather than in identification with that as a permanent sense of self, as not as an absolute identity. And so what the psychological sense of self is talking about and the different things that form our identity, then in a retreat context or in a meditation experience, we need to look at and examine and see if there's anything in any of that which is ultimately true and and uh, lasting. You know, people, I've traveled around the world for a number of years now. People ask me what country I'm from. And almost inevitably, I would not hesitate, and I'd say California. (laughs) With quite a lot of pride that that's the country I'm from. You know, so for me, there's a sense of identification with a cultural context, and I've subset myself out of a national identity into a sub-identity. I'm not from the United States, I'm from California, mm-hmm. you know. And so then there's a sense, oh, well, is that actually who I am? Well, when I close my eyes, I don't have any sense of I'm from California, Or even when I don't close my eyes, when I go out and I look at the birds, or I take a shower, I put my sandals on. There's nothing in me that is resonating with I'm from California as I'm doing these things. Many of us have a very strong identification with the gender of our body. And yet this is not something which is an absolute identity that is lasting at all times. You know, we're just sitting here in the hallway and we're just feeling the the warmth or feeling the cloth. Do you have a sense of your gender, of your body, being male or female? So this is something that we experience and something we need to understand. It's a vehicle through which we learn, but it's not an ultimate identity. It changes in the sense that our relationship with it is not fixed and the way it arises in consciousness is dependent on conditions. So most of the time I can manage to go to the woman's toilet, though if there's a long queue, I don't hesitate going into the men's toilet. (laughs) 
I don't find it confusing. You know, for me, it's not a problem. So looking at the places where we find identity, I'm Theravadan. All right, what does that mean? All right, so I wear Theravadan robes, I keep precepts, I live in a community that's associated with Theravadan's teachings. All right, so, so what? It doesn't mean that the teachings that are not Theravadan are not ones that I resonate with or feel a tremendous affinity towards or feel enormous respect for. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that the robes I wear are Theravadan. The community that I'm associated with is Theravadan. And that's enough. A couple of years ago, I was at a place in the south of India, which is a very powerful place for practice. It's got a wonderful atmosphere. A very famous and renowned sage, Sri Ramana Maharshi, spent 50 years of his life there. But before he went there, the place was a sacred place because Anurachala, which is this mountain, is considered a sacred place uh, because it's, it's considered to be the, the manifestation of Shiva energy. So Shiva is Hindu. Okay, So I was there, as well as many of the monastic 